0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Academic Dean, where we connect with passionate college leaders who share their stories and viewpoints of higher education, especially lessons learned along the way. Now, here's your host, Dr. Dave Gurchak. Hi, everyone. Today, I'd like to welcome Dr. Nicole Parsons-Pollard to our show. Dr. Parsons-Pollard is the Associate Provost for Faculty Affairs at Georgia State University in Atlanta, Georgia. Hi, Nicole. So happy to have you on the show today.
1: Great to be here with you.
0: Can you tell me about Georgia State University and why students select your institution?
1: Absolutely. Well, one of the things, having had two children that went to college myself, is that there are a variety of things that parents need to think about when, and students need to think about when they're selecting a college. And so The top seven are academic programs, affordability, facilities, student life and activities, careers, and a sense of belongingness and location. Now that's in no particular order but all of those things end up being extremely important but I will start with one of the most important which is academic programs and so Georgia State is an enterprising public research institution um, and In addition to having an array of nationally ranked and recognized programs, we have more than 250 majors and minors and pathways throughout the institution. And so we're made up of 10 academic colleges from uh, the School of Public uh, Policy Studies to uh, Nursing and Health Professions, of course, a business school, our largest arts and sciences, uh, college of the arts, and we also have a law school as well. And for this particular time, we have a school of public health, a lot more people being interested in public health as we talk about what's going on in the world with the pandemic. And lastly, Perimeter College, which is our two year arm of the institution. So that also makes us a little unique in what we do. Um, The other thing that I think you want to think about when you're looking at the academic quality of the institution is um, will you be able to progress? And one of the things that Georgia State has been a national leader in is closing the achievement gap between Black and Latino students and non-students of color. And so at most institutions, when you look at the numbers, what you will see is that black and brown students are not graduating at the same rate. And that can be for a host of issues. But what we've been able to do is to put in an infrastructure that supports students. And now what we see is a very evenness in our students graduating. Um, And while, you know, we love and we hate the rankings. And so, but they matter. They matter to families and when they're looking. And so, one of the things that's also so important, and this comes directly from our wonderful faculty more than 1,600 faculty, um, more than 77% having terminal degrees and still having solid research agendas where they um, get external funding in excess of $100 million. Um, year after year after year, but we are ranked second most innovative university, as well as third in its commitment to undergraduate
0: teaching. Good for you guys. That's very exciting.
1: It is so exciting because oftentimes we think you can have one and you can't have the other, that you can't have a research one institution as well as have an institution where students are your first priority. And so that's one of the most wonderful things about Georgia State. Um, and, and then, you know, our affordability. We're a state institution, but even when you look at students who are outside of the state, when they come in, um, a non-resident student for the four-year institution will still pay less than $16,000 a year uh, per semester. And so that is still a great value for what you will get on the other end of this, which is when you talk about careers, um, being able to have a degree in which means something in the world of work. I know a lot of people are concerned about the fact that somehow in higher ed, we can only equate the value of the degree to having a job in the end. But the reality is is that students are leaving with twenty to thirty thousand dollars in debt? They have to work, and so it means that we have to pay close attention to that. And the reality is, is that you know Georgia State has been ranked by U.S. News and World Reports as number eight in social mobility. So not only will you graduate, but we are saying that that commitment to what we have helped you to be able to do over those four years will be able to help you to be able to change the life of your family and future generations to come, which I think is part of what the American dream is actually all about in being able to progress for yourself and your family and for your community as well. And then like many other institutions, we have a host of Um, Outside class activities, an active student organization body, so that students have other things to do. Um, But also, we are a very welcoming environment. Our campus looks like the world. And so what you will see is that when you come, you won't be looking saying, I don't see anyone who looks like me or sounds like me. You will be able to find a place in which you feel secure and welcome and belonging. And then the last thing, you know, location, 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 (laughs) who can't beat Atlanta as the rest of the country right now is in a polar vortex. it's pretty decent weather we've got here. You know, it's like a balmy 50. And so the reality is is it's extremely great to be in the ninth largest metropolitan city in the nation. And the number of Fortune 500 and Fortune 1000 uh, companies that are located here in Atlanta also give our students a great advantage and their opportunities for internships and co-ops and eventual employment as well. And so, I think all of those things put together make Georgia State a an option for students who are interested in almost any field.
0: You know, I love the list that you started off with. You had you listed seven things, and and as I was writing them down, those are those are wonderful ideas to bring in students. Uh, my question is, uh, as a follow-up how this sense of belonging which is you you're right i i think that's wonderful students have a, have a they have a place to go to that that they have a feeling that they belong there how do you do that during a pandemic i mean what what how how you know that's in the traditional role that you have i assume that's your normal daily routine but have you had to switch anything up to make sure that they still have that sense of belonging during this time of semi lockdown
1: Well, I think that student affairs has been extremely active. Um, First of all, we have an extremely active student body. And so listening to them has been extremely important. Um, I serve on one of our administrative council committees at where we look at all of the policies and procedures across the campus. Well, there's a student who also sits on that committee as well, and that doesn't happen at a lot of institutions. So I think it goes to show that we try to keep our finger on the pulse of what is happening for students and in doing so being able to make sure that we give them what they need in order to be successful. Um, I think to your point, um, we've all had to make some shifts during COVID and um, we've done a great deal of work at um, at the beginning dens- uh, de-densifying the campus and ensuring that uh, students had access to um, COVID testing as many times as they needed and making it as convenient as possible, making sure that they could report if they they came up positive or someone else that they knew so that we could help with contact tracing and so I do know that this has had an impact on that sense of belonging. But again, I will say that one of the things that our faculty have also been excellent at is trying to figure out what can they do in their individual courses to ensure that students are not only getting what they need for the curriculum, but also have that engagement that is necessary to be able to create a sense of community in the classroom. And so we at our um, Center for Excellence in Teaching and Learning, we just changed the name to Cetlo Teaching and Learning and Online Education, that's what it is. um, They started a Mastering Online um, um, Training uh, Teaching, Mastering Online Teaching Program. And we've had more than 3,000 Uh, individuals go through that particular program because faculty wanted to ensure that they could do the best that they could while teaching online or in hybrid mode as well. And so I think that one of the things that faculty have been able to do is to really sort of bridge that gap for students and create an environment, even though it's online, of how they can build community with one another.
0: Oh, that's great can uh you tell me about uh what's new at georgia state for 2021
1: 2022 oh there's a long list of things that we've got going on it's 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 interesting it's like even even in the middle of a pandemic we just keep moving forward and so uh, as i mentioned our center for, uh, for excellence in teaching learning and online education They will be launching a Georgia State Online. And this is not just a website. This is where we have nearly 40 departments across seven colleges, and they are offering online options. Um, But in addition to that, again, thinking about students and making sure that they have the appropriate support, we are going to support that with uh, student recruitment and enrollment support. branding, marketing, but also the instructional development tools that are needed for faculty to make sure that we are indeed not losing our rigor or any of that in our programs. And then ongoing consultation with the faculty who are going to be teaching in uh, these modalities. And so that's going to be happening, as well as um, Perimeter College, our two year um, arm of the institution. They have also come up with a wonderful program calling the Pathway to Attaining Doctoral Degrees at Perimeter College. Um, For those who are listening, they might remember that Perimeter College before it merged with uh, Georgia State back in 2015, um, they have a number of campuses. They have five campuses across um, the Atlanta area but the many of the faculty are indeed people of color. And so one of the things that we want to do to increase the pipeline of individuals who are in higher education as well is this program will allow perimeter faculty without a terminal degree to have a decreased teaching load so that they can work on getting their terminal degrees. And so there are lots of ways to be able to meet this uh, need of having more individuals in higher education come from diverse backgrounds. And this is just one of many that we're moving forward um, as well. In addition to that, uh, at Perimeter College, they also have a new project working, and this is to my heart because I am a criminal justice professor, um, the Prison Education Project. And so they're gonna be working with incarcerated students in Georgia at two of the correctional facilities, and they're going to provide um, four credit courses. And so, and hopefully to lead to an uh, um, associate's degree. And so this is going to be extremely helpful as a society in which we need to, you know, more than um, 88% of people who are incarcerated come out in a very short period of time. We need to make sure that they have the tools and things that are necessary in order to be able to be good upstanding citizens and being able to have an education is one of those and employment is indeed another. And so we think that this program will help in that as well. And Georgia State was only one of, I think there are two institutions that received the second chance Program, I think we're the only one in the state of Georgia who received the monies to be able to do that. So I think one of the things that I've noticed since arriving at Georgia State, which I've only been here for um, eight months, um, is that the arm of the institution is always sort of reaching outside of the university walls as well. And so in hoping that we add those experiences also for our students, A couple of other things that we're doing uh, are international initiatives, Um, so no one can really travel because of COVID. So what then do you do when it comes to international initiatives? And so one of the things is this, um, called COIL, It's collaborative online international learning well we have these virtual exchange programs where in which we globalize the curriculum so that students can still have an experience and understand how they are connected to the rest of the world and they work on various projects with people who are in other places around the world um, as well and so this is just one of the ways in which we've been able to sort of adjust to um, COVID. And the last thing I'll share with you is that um, you're never really sure what the economy is going to do to higher ed and people going to school, not going to school. And the reality is is that our graduate school has seen an increase. We are up more than 7% in our graduate enrollment, which is unbelievable and and it's outpacing the national growth and so um we're proud of all of those things and those are just some of the things that are going to be coming up um but i am sure that by the time the pandemic is over it's definitely going to be full steam ahead
0: (laughs) you know i was so happy in fact i was working on something like that uh a, a while back as far as working with with uh uh students in prisons to to help them get an education instead of just getting a certificate Mm -hmm. so i too am very excited that you're doing that there because it just seems like it's it's nice to give a certificate so they can go out to work but it's nice that you can also give them an associate degree or something in that nature that they can have a path to continue their education that's that's wonderful i'm so happy so happy that you're and you're doing that um So can you talk a little bit about yourself? And I know sometimes it's easier to talk about your school and programs, but can you talk a little bit about yourself and how you kind of ended up being an academic leader at Georgia State?
1: Well, when I decided I wanted to go to um, graduate school and I decided I wanted to get my Ph.D., I went because I wanted to work for the Office of Juvenile Justice and Delinquency Prevention. Now, I've got a little age on me. So they used to send something in the mail. It was a report. And you get these analyses about what was going on in criminal justice. And they'd always have the people listed Um, who wrote the report. And so I was the geek who would then want to try and find out more information about the people who wrote the report and not just the information in the report, because I wanted to be one of those people. And that was my intention. And then I sort of fell into teaching. And I often refer to myself as an accidental adjunct. Um, It was not something that I planned. But when I did it, I absolutely fell in love with teaching. And then I decided to um, participate in a preparing future faculty program at Virginia Commonwealth University, where I graduated from. And from there, I decided to go into higher ed and I haven't looked back since. Uh, I've been faculty at Virginia Commonwealth. And then I spent uh, eight and a half years at uh, Virginia State University, which is a public land grant HBCU in Petersburg, Virginia. And while there I, once I had tenure, I wanted to run for department chair. And so anyone who knows anything about higher ed is usually a departmental vote. And I lost the department chair vote by three people. And which was really close because it's, it's a really, it was a big department and it had three different programs in it. And so, um, my dean at the time came to me and he said, no, he wasn't my dean. He was my provost. Then he said, I didn't know you were even interested in being an administrator. I just thought you loved teaching. And I was like, well, I do love teaching. Can't I do both? And he said, sure. And in a few weeks, he reached out to me and he said there was a internal fellowship program that they used to have, but was sort of defunct and he wanted to bring it back. And it was where all of the VPs would take... Uh, a faculty member, sort of under their wing, so that they could learn more about how the university worked. And I came to his office. And after the first semester, he said, "I, if you want to stay, I'd like you to stay." And from there on, I started working for the provost office, um, first as sort of a special assistant, and then eventually as a, an assistant vice provost academic operations which included all sorts of things from resources in the classroom to um, accreditation work and, um, and so one of the things that it did was it gave me this view of the campus that was far outside of what I had experienced as just a faculty member because and I don't mean just, as though it's not important, but as a faculty member, I was very focused on my program and my students in sure. particular. Sure. And yeah. so once you get into trying to understand what HR is saying and doing in general counsel, what the state legislature's impact is on the institution, now you're starting to see the institution in a very different light. And so Um, My provost had been an ACE fellow, American Council on Education fellow, and he thought it would be a great experience for me, and I applied and was in that program and spent a year at James Madison University in Harrisonburg, Virginia, and it was a tremendous opportunity, and I will say for a Black female in higher education, it also gave me a confidence that I was not expecting. I knew I would learn things, but what happened is I was sitting in the room with what people were saying were going to be future leaders. And I got to see how I would stack up and did I really have what I needed in order to be able to go forward. And so it was a wonderful opportunity and it literally changed everything for me. Um, After doing that program, I came back to Virginia State for a short while, and then took a position at Monmouth University in um, New Jersey, and to work for my fellow mentor uh, that I'd known for years, and it was also a really great opportunity, it was a public, it was a private institution, I had only been at public institutions, Uh, we were an institution that had a union, so that was very different. Um, and being in the Northeast rather than in the Mid-Atlantic or the South. Oh, sure. And so it gave me so many chances to see the things that we all had in common and the things that were slightly different at our institutions and how to be able to deal with those. And so that's how I wound up in administration. And I haven't gone back. I, um, and when I saw the position for Georgia State, um I initially thought they wouldn't want someone like me. I've been at relatively small institutions and they're huge. And then it came across my email again. And I'm saying this because anyone listening who is second guessing themselves, um, don't do that. And so <laughs> I applied and And much like my ACE fellowship experience, the fact of the matter is, is that I was able to hold my own. I knew what I knew and that shone through in the interview. And so it's been exciting to be here. And I'm gonna tell you, even though I started this job in the middle of COVID, everyone at the institution has been extremely welcoming. Um, And I can't imagine what it would have been like had you know, COVID not existed because this has been a really great experience because starting a new job can always be a little nervous and trying to get the feel of a place. But this has been a great experience and I'm so excited to be here.
0: You know, um, as you talked about this forward thinking provost who kind of Brought you along. I don't know if it would, would. It was it more like shadowing or was it more like just sitting for a cup of coffee and talking? Uh, how, how did all that start? Because I've asked other uh, other individuals if if there was anything like that at their campuses, and they all go, "Boy, that would be a great idea," but nobody's ever ever done it. So you're like the first guest I've ever had that that you actually had that opportunity.
1: Yes. So I thought it was going to be more like a shadowing. And then he, when we, his name is uh, Weldon Hill. And after a couple of our meetings, I think he sort of figured out what I was capable of doing. And um, much like every institution, it was, he was like, I need you to figure out what's going on with the schedule. And I didn't even know what he meant when he said, What's going on with the schedule? And I said, Okay. And so I started talking to the deans and the associate dean's and then the registrar's office and I said, Oh, we got a problem with the schedule. And so that was the first work that that I did uh, for him. And then it was, well, I've got another project for you. So it became right. very project based. That and makes sense. and then he introduced me to things that I had just no idea, uh, the budget. And they the um, vice president for finance administration, I, they get this big binder. I'm not sure if they do that today because, you know, that was several years ago, but he gave me this huge binder. And I said, what's this? And he says, the university budget. And I said, oh my God, really? And so the idea of, okay, you've done this thing. Let's see what you can do next. And let's just it was almost like, it was like a coach. It really was, you know, how a coach just mm-hmm. keeps pushing you each step of the way. And you're like, well, if you understood that, you can understand this and you can move in these incremental ways just a little bit further. And so that's one of the things that he was able to do for me.
0: So, so it's assignment based. I would have never thought of that. That's a, that's yes. even though, cause I thought it was shadowing too. When, when you mentioned that, so assignment mm-hmm. based. I'm going to I'm going to make that recommendation to some other people who who have been asking for some type of of leadership development. So, that's a great idea. It's a
1: great opportunity. The other thing I will say is a great opportunity on twofold. One for current leaders to see what people who might be interested in being administrators are capable of doing or interested in doing. But personally, whether or not you want to do it. And so some people Love administrative work and others just don't. And so it, ge- it tells you something about yourself while you're in the process as well, which yeah. I think is very valuable.
0: Good point. So I know you're passionate about diversity, equity, and inclusion at colleges. Tell me what can be done on campuses to help with this endeavor.
1: Oh, I wish it was just like a short list I could <laughs> give everybody, you could just do it. Um, So I spend most of my time with faculty. So I'll answer it sort of from that perspective um, for that reason. But also the second reason I'll answer it from that perspective is that uh, one of the things that I've noticed over time is that it's been very easy for us to um, diversify our student body. And it has been less easy for us to diversify our faculty. And so as a matter of fact, the first thing we did was diversify our student population. Uh, My mother-in-law was the first Black person to graduate from the Medical College of Virginia nursing program. And it was 1960. And when you look at her yearbook, uh, there she is, but there are no faculty of color there. And so I think we still find ourselves in a position where Um, one of the things that we need to focus on is how do we get more faculty of color uh, in the pipeline. Um, Before coming to Georgia State, they started a commission for the next generation of faculty. And they spent two years looking and thinking and visiting with other campuses and gathering ideas. And when I arrived, those ideas had been passed on to an implementation steering committee. And I lead that committee today. And we have a number of initiatives uh, that can focus on diversifying the faculty, things like best hiring practices and implicit bias, pipeline initiatives to get people into the pool, uh, which is why Georgia State's such an awesome institution because not only are we doing that, but our student body by decreasing that gap in graduation rates, we are also contributing to individuals being in um, receiving a degree, and so, um, but I do think also, you know, there are there there's culture, university culture, and being really aware of whether or not you really are warm and welcoming. It's interesting how you can see yourself because you've been there so long, but you're not exactly sure how people outside see you. You only have a perception of how you think they see you. And the reality is, is that when we talk to faculty who have left institutions, they often describe the environment as being pretty toxic. And the reality is, is that, but when you ask people who were at those institutions, they say, no, we didn't recognize anything was wrong. And so you can't, you're sometimes too close to see it. And so one of the things that we've done at Georgia State is we have, uh, that came out of some recommendations from the Implementation Steering Committee also was to have the leadership participate in a DEI workshop. So the president's cabinet, um, all of the deans, all of the assistant associate deans and our department chairs. We are all doing this work because it's not only important for the, people who work at the institution who are indeed people of color, but it's really important for yourself as well. Um, Being able to understand how our actions impact others. And it's very easy for us to fall into um, a particular way of thinking or doing things because it's just been done that way so long. I mean, how many times have you heard that? I don't know why we do it that way. It's just that we do it. But then understanding that the way you've been doing it may actually disadvantage individuals on your campus. And I think in a lot of ways, we're very open to those conversations when it comes to students and sometimes less so when it comes to faculty. So I think that that's important as well. So all in all, I think we need to be reflective. We need to listen. But most importantly, after doing all of that, you need to take action. Sometimes we're too reflective and we do too much listening. And But what are you going to now do about it? There has to be action behind those things. And I think the reality is, is that what you will find is that you will be a better institution as a whole than if you had not taken those actions. So I think that environment of warm and welcoming and hiring great people fairly and checking your implicit bias and your microaggressions, that's a good thing for everyone.
0: I, I agree. Excellent point. So let's let's just step off campus. Let's follow up this question, but let's step off campus and ask it where what can be done then in the community or or in your state or nationally mm-hmm. to help with this endeavor.
1: So one of the things that happened is that um, when George Floyd um, was senselessly murdered and Ahmaud Arbery, um, the provost at Georgia State um, started a task force on racial equity. And it was to give people an opportunity to be able to have a dialogue about what we as a campus could do, what did it mean for us. It was also a a sort of a check-in with people. I think it was was a hard summer for everyone. And so doing that work with the task force has generated an array of actions um, that are going to be extremely helpful, not only to the campus, but also to the campus community. Um, we've spent a lot of time talking about policing in particular. Um, we did uh, a forum on policing, a half day forum. And we also talked about um, not only our campus police department, but the policing agencies that are in and around our campus. We're an urban campus, and so you have Atlanta PD and you also have the MARTA PD. And so um, talking about how are people trained? What are we as a campus doing? How is this impacting us and our students? And it was really an insightful conversation to be able to have because I think first of all, it gave people some information. And for me being new to the institution, I was able to learn things about our police department that I would have probably never known um, and how diverse we are how um, all of our officers are uh, crisis intervention trained and how we, the things that were in the dialogue across the nation about uh, choke and restraints. And what do we do with our officers? How do we train them? Um, and so it was an enlightening conversation And it allowed us to be able to think through some things and how we wanted our institution to also um, run. And and then we spent some time, there was a very comprehensive uh, human resources um, report as well. And so I think that it was internal, but it was also looking externally as to how we as an institution impact the community around us as well.
0: Um, In reviewing your bio, it looks like you're responsible for creating and implementing a variety of faculty development programs, as well as leadership programs for department chairs and other administrators. I am all ears. I I am so excited to hear about this. Can you talk about the programs as well as the benefits to both faculty and administration?
1: Yes. So some of the programs that we have are, are sort of we do some of your traditional things, um, working with faculty through promotion and tenure processes and annual reviews and those kinds of things. And um, and then we do things like um, new department chairs, workshops. Um, that was at Georgia State when I arrived. But at my previous institution, I started a program as such because if you're in higher ed, you know that sometimes uh, as a department chair, you get a transition period. And other times someone left the keys in your mailbox and said, good luck. And so we're trying to figure out what do people need in order to be successful. Um, we do monthly lunch and, sh- lunch and shares um, with the department chairs. And for this spring, our lunch and shares are devoted to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so they are all, all 75 of them are participating in, um, workshops, a a two-part workshop where they explore these issues and get an opportunity to have some dialogue amongst one another as well. And we also have, which is interesting, we have a staff leadership program that's run out of the Office of Faculty Affairs. That is not very common, but it's an excellent program and great people. It's, the, it's called ELAW, the Executive Leadership Academy for Women. And they have more than 90 women who have gone through this leadership program. And while it seems like, why wouldn't that be run out of HR or some other area? The reality is, is that uh, in academic affairs, we have a great number of staff. And so it's, while it's not relegated just to academic affairs staff, I think it's important for us to keep our finger on the pulse of how staff feel throughout the institution as well. And so um, that's a program. And then we also have a Women Inspire Speaker Series. And as a matter of fact, we are having uh, one of our faculty, Dr. Oakley uh, from sociology. She will be doing a talk on the 24th. And it's a program where inspiring women throughout the campus get an opportunity to have a talk um, with others across the campus. It just gives, sometimes our work is so external um, to our discipline organizations and it's nice to be able to talk to your colleagues so they know what you've been spending your time doing. And so that's one of the other programs, but we've got some new things that we're going to be developing also. We are working on a leadership program for women faculty. Um, One of the things that's come out in some of the most recent data is that um, COVID has had a disproportionate impact on uh, women in the workplace and women faculty as well. Um, We probably didn't need a deep dive and study for that to to, to get that, Um, um, but the reality is that it is true. And so ensuring that we have programs to be able to um, build women faculty up and prepare them for leadership uh, throughout higher education, I think is extremely important. And then we also have the Academic Leadership Development Program. This program has been around for a while, but we're getting ready to sort of revamp it. Um, I want to to have as many opportunities for leadership and professional development for faculty, no matter what your rank was or whether you were chair or, or whatever. And so we're going to have a series of workshops and that can help to lead to a possible fellowship uh, position um, program that we'll have, that'll be internal to the campus. And so we're hoping to provide as many options as possible because like I said, you don't have to be an administrator to be a leader. And so there are great opportunities for us to be able to give people these skills and have them show up in a variety of ways. you could be running a committee, a search committee, um, or working with an institute or one of the centers or something. And it doesn't have to be your actual full-time job, but I think having leadership experiences and training and development become vital to being a fully formed faculty member in the institution as well.
0: Yeah. I, I come from that environment where you become a department chair because you drew the short straw, <laughs> you know, so it, it's nice that, you, that you're helping everybody along. Uh, what advice can you give to faculty who want to move into academic leadership?
1: Um, someone once told me um that your trajectory doesn't have to look like everyone else's. And so you don't have to go to department chair to associate dean. You don't have, that's just one way. And again, I think that people need to find what's right for them. Um, And so it could be running a center or an institute. It could be some other leadership opportunity. And so I think people, when they think about it, they say, well, I don't want to be an administrator because I don't want to be the one to have to, the bearer of all the bad news. You know, at my former institution, they referred to it as going over to the dark side. Same here. Yes. Those exact <laughs>
0: words. First day in. That's what they told me. Welcome to the dark side. It's like, what?
1: And then the interesting thing is, is that one of the reasons I even was interested in being the department chair is because... I wanted to help my colleagues. And so what better way, what better service to the institution and to your colleagues, but to say, I'm I'm willing to, to lift this for you, this burden for you as well. You know, somebody has to make sure that the, the lights are on, there's paper and the copier, and you know, all of those things that we often take for granted that the office just runs, but someone does all of that. Someone is the person that answers the phone and talks to every single parent that wants to call. And so, um, and if you've ever had a great department chair, you know how valuable they are. But I do think that there are lots of other opportunities throughout the campus in which one can lead. And my advice to individuals is to first always make sure that you tell people what you're interested in doing. Even if you've got sort of an inkling, but you're not quite sure, I've always found that the one thing about higher ed is if you say to someone, I'm interested in X, there will be a committee of X and someone will remember you said it and they will put you on whatever that is so that you get an opportunity to be able to participate in it. And I think that's one of the great things about being a higher ed as well.
0: Who's been the biggest influence in your career?
1: I've been so completely fortunate. It's, it's unbelievable. I've, um, I've had, I'm now on my third provost and she's just as wonderful as the other two. Um, but my two former provosts have probably been the most influential Uh, Dr. Laura Moriarty and Dr. Weldon Hill, Um, and they pushed me, and they pushed me in different ways, but they both saw things in me that I didn't quite see in myself, and so they gave me opportunities to be successful, and they gave me opportunities to fail and learn from it, and so I think without Laura, I probably would have never gone into teaching Um, But without Weldon, I would have never become an administrator. And so I think the two of them together um, sort of have been the two driving forces in me having the role that I have today. And now, of course, there've been tons of people who have given you great advice at the moment. And you say, wow, I don't think I would have made it through this moment had that person not said that to me. Um, One was a colleague, uh, Dr. Ben Nwoki Uh, right after losing the department chair vote, he saw me in the parking lot and I was getting ready to go home. And he said to me, people are watching to see what you do when you don't get what you want. And I never forgot that.
0: Good advice.
1: Oh, excellent advice. Excellent advice. I'm sure that had I been sour grapes, the provost would not have wanted me in that fellowship program. And so, um, and I had another colleague, uh, Cortez Dial, he's currently, he's an army man. And he said, um, you have to understand the systems that you're working in, in order to be successful in them and to affect any kind of change. And so I always sort of think about that when he, you come in somewhere and you say, okay, I need to understand this moment, this system, this thing that I'm working in in order to be able to affect change. And then there's also uh, my colleague and my friend, uh, Dr. Isis Walton. And she's just that person who's always your cheerleader, always, no matter what it is you call and they have encouraging words for you. And um, sometimes I wonder how she musters it up all of the time. But I think without those individuals, um, I would certainly not be where I am.
0: Well, then um, here's my last question. How do you see your position evolving over the next five years?
1: Oh, wow. Oh, who knows? I, I think, you know, that the world is my oyster, you know? And, <laughs> and, I, and I really do believe that, you know, I'm open to all opportunities And I've been really good at knowing what's right for me when it comes along. So I'll
0: keep my eyes open. Well, after talking to you, I'm going to check back with you in a couple of years, because I I can imagine you're going to be doing some great things down the road or continue to do some great things down the road.
1: Well, thank you very much. I'm looking forward to it.
0: So, Nicole, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. I really enjoyed our conversation.
1: Thank you. I enjoyed it as well. Great opportunity. Good luck well, that to you en- as well.
0: Oh, thank you so much. That ends today's show. Thanks everyone for listening. Thanks for listening to today's episode and make sure to visit our website at academicdean.com for additional information. Also, if you enjoy our podcast, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Until next time.